0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 157, five signs that you are living in survival mode. If you've been wanting to prioritize your growth, but for some reason you struggle to do so, today's episode is for you. You might have noticed that you feel stuck, and although you want to move forward, there's always something slowing you down. For me, constantly moving forward, a growing, flourishing, prospering, whatever you want to call it, requires that we meet our needs, that we fill our cup, that we cultivate presence and awareness, and that we stay embodied and connected, that we have the mental real estate for reflection, planning, and envisioning, and that we do all that, supporting ourselves every step of the way while moving from love truth is this is less common than we think most of us we live in stress and for many of us that stress is chronic and results in living in what we call survival mode when you're busy surviving you can't focus you can prioritize your growth So I created a quiz for you to get an idea of where you stand. Just how much are you living in survival mode? If you're like, yeah, maybe that's me. You can do it right now before the episode, answering with your virgin ears. (laughs) Just, I mean, without the information I'm about to share. Or you can listen first. You'll find a download link in the show notes. You probably have guessed it. Today, it's you and I. We're going to look at the five signs that might indicate that you are living in survival mode. I want to say thank you if you've reached out to me on Instagram to talk about my other solo episodes, you'll find a list in the show notes as well, and I'm so glad that they've been helpful, and I love connecting with you guys, so I would really love to chat about this episode or read your takeaways on today's episode, so either send me a DM or take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mind podcast. Do you know a conscious woman that wants to heal and grow, that maybe needs to hear today's episode? Share it and help someone else in their healing journey. All right, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back, guys. When we talk about survival mode, we refer to a stress response. Remember fight or flight? Remember dorsal vagal? If not, you might want to go back to episodes 121, Nervous System 101. If you remember, your perception of a stressful stimuli creates a psychological and physiological response. Our mind and body becomes focused on combating danger. If the stress is constant, if you get stuck in the surveillance mode, stress becomes a way of living, and it becomes a maladaptive response that we call the survival mode. There are many clues that you live in chronic, prolonged stress that leads or will eventually lead to survival mode. We're going to talk about five. Number one, probably sounds super obvious, you're stressed. Well, we're going to look at particular signs of stress that point towards more the survival mode than the normal, useful, responsive stress. Number two, you live in urgency. Number three, you tend to disconnect to protect yourself. Number four, your mental health has declined recently or your coping mechanism are not quite as helpful as they used to be. Number five, you generally feel stuck. So, number one <laughs> sign that you are living in survival mode is that you're stressed. That's the first sign, right? It's chronic dysregulation of your nervous system. If you've been listening to the other episodes, you might not be surprised that that makes the top of the list. Since survival mode or this type of stress response where you're unable to regulate or to activate your parasympathetic response as often as you need to is a way that your body learns a new way of being, which is the stress state. If you listen to episode 117, Understanding Your Stress, you might remember the signs of stress. The challenge is that when we are always in fight or flight, we tend to normalize the signs of stress, not as symptoms, but just as the way things are. It can almost become our personality, and we forget that those signs are in fact not normal. We forget that we once didn't feel like this. Oh, and you might think to yourself, well, I'm not in chronic stress. I get stressed, but I get out of it, right? Isn't that normal? Yes. And following would be the question, how easily do you get stress? What's your capacity to respond as you want to a stressor? How much does it take for your body to respond with a fight or a flight answer to the situation. If your answer is like, yeah, not that much, this is a sign that you might be in chronic dysregulation without knowing it. That might come with or show up as impulsivity or reactivity. When we are chronically dysregulated, living in survival mode, we'll catch ourselves being a little too short-fused, right? Do you react to a situation and think, oh, that's not what I meant, I wish I didn't do that, oh, I was quick to react, or the words just slipped out of my mouth, right? When you're already stressed and your body is already experiencing changes in tension, hormones, respiration, cognitive capacity, and more, and then you add another stress on top, you don't start back at zero on your scale of stress, so you're much more quicker to get to 100. Does that make sense? Like, you might have started back at 80, so with reactivity usually comes a difficulty to be proactive. Think about it. Planning ahead, as we mentioned earlier, requires some mental real estate that you don't have available if you're constantly watching out for threats. You are busy keeping yourself safe and ready to fight or to flight to save your life. When we're hypervigilant, we tend to react instead of response. We're always on high alert. We tend to see threats where there are none, and we tend to have a negative bias as we read the situation or even the faces of people. It might also show up as constant overwhelm. If as soon as the stress starts to pile up, your go-to is overwhelm, it shows again that you're not at zero on your scale of stress, right? You're not going back down, regulating properly. Overwhelm is like the result of the overflowing, the straw that breaks the camel's right? Is that the English expression? I think so. <laughs> That's just one extra thing that is just too much because it's piled over a hundred others. So at this point, you just can't anymore. Chronic stress will also affect your capacity to relax and to sleep, to feel rested in the morning, to feel present during the day, to be able to focus. And if you have trouble to focus, if your memory feels not quite up to par, if you catch yourself zoning out, like you're not listening to people, not because you're not having any interest in what they're saying, but you get easily distracted, your system is overwhelmed and is unable to take in more information. Maybe you're just misplacing things, forgetting where you put something, forgetting that someone asked you to do something or that you had a verbal agreement of some kind. Forgetting anything on a regular basis is also a sign of overwhelm of your system. So as you lack sleep, as you lack focus, your health will start to suffer and your immune system can get compromised, meaning you get the flu a little too often or as soon as you get stressed, you tend to catch whatever's running around you or you get sick when you finally get on vacation on holiday or at the end of a big project at the end of the semester, right? Those are signs that your system is really feeling run down. The last sign of chronic stress might surprise you with impulsivity and reactivity, you might also notice that you are a bit more competition oriented and you tend to feel like you need to defend yourself. Always having a feeling that you need to defend yourself is a sign that you're living in fear. It's the sign that you have a feeling that you need to compare yourself to other people. And in contrast, if you're in your ventral vagal response, competition doesn't quite exist the same way because as much as you want to do well, your focus is more collaboration. It's connection, it's vulnerability, it's intimacy. Things that you don't have access to when your focus is competition. Like if your loved one with good intention points out something that you could improve on, something that you've done wrong, a way that you've hurt them. If you struggle to receive the feedback, that's a sign that you're chronically stressed as well. When other people's constructive criticism is received with defensiveness, it really mirrors your frame of mind. The thoughts that I need to defend myself, I need to prove that you are wrong, that I didn't do anything wrong, that I don't lack in any way, are there to keep you safe when you feel in danger. So being reactive, defensive, unable to receive criticism will often be paired the feeling that everything you do and you have to do is high risk. At the minimum, the risk will be to be criticized or to make a mistake. At the worst, it will be to fail, to be rejected, to be abandoned. So when all the little things of life feel equally important, when every action feels risky, you're constantly afraid that somehow you're in danger. Continuing With all of this, to cultivate that sense for need of survival. With everything being high risk, with the habit of reacting quickly, also comes the sense of urgency. Urgency is your sign number two that you are living in survival mode. Urgency can look different for different people. But if you're always rushing, you know that feeling that you might get of always being like just five minutes late everywhere? That's urgency. Maybe you're not five minutes late. Anywhere. Maybe you're always on time, but you're always running to get there. That's urgency. Maybe you always have the feeling that you only have time to get to what is urgent in your day. That's urgency. Maybe you were like, no, that's not me. You might still have an urgency. Maybe you're cool as a cucumber. You get to places on time, even slightly late, but you're not bothered by it. But instead, you find yourself having to reschedule all the time. Either because you've overscheduled yourself or because when you scheduled, you didn't expect to feel so overwhelmed that day, or you've got distracted and you forgot, right? So maybe you struggle making and keeping commitments on your calendar, even if you're super relaxed about it. You know the I'm penciling you in, but I'll never get back to you kind of commitment. (laughs) Those are all signs that you do live in urgency, actually. Remember how we talked about being proactive and how it can be very difficult when you live in chronic stress. In urgency, you find yourself living one day at a time, so it's difficult to plan ahead because it comes to your business, finances, vacation time, holiday, and so forth. You can't think what you're going to need and want in the future because you're so here and now making sure that you survive. So those are all signs that you live in urgency and so in survival mode. If that's your case, you probably have zero time for yourself. Self-care doesn't really exist unless it's on your to-do list because on top of having no time, you tend to put other people's first. You tend to cultivate your safety in codependency by making other people feel taken care of, safe and happy. And with that, chances are you're forgetting to care for your own basic needs and instead you put that responsibility on others and you get yourself not only not taken care of, but usually disappointed. Here, slowing down is going to be your best friend. Exploring your beliefs around time might also be very helpful. Like how often do you catch yourself say, I don't have time? I love to flip the belief I don't have time to this is not a priority for me right now. And instead of asking yourself if you have time to do something or not, ask yourself if that thing is important for you in this moment. The idea is that when something is important enough, we make time for it. If there's one thing that is fair in life is that we all have 24 hours in one day. What you do with those 24 hours comes down to what you prioritize, what's important to you. So yeah, I don't have time to iron my sheets, let's say, because ironing my sheets is like so far down my priority list. So notice how many times in a day you say, I don't have time for X. And instead, ask yourself if that X, Y, or Z is actually important to you. As you change your words from I don't have time to this isn't a priority for me, you'll start to notice that you feel a bit more in control of the time you do have. And this might help you feel a bit more empowered into making choices for yourself and not being a victim of how busy you are, helpless to your schedule, or how many things are expected from you in a day. Ultimately, we have to remember that we decide what we give time to. And as you slow down and you start prioritizing, you might be able to start to do one thing at a time. Moving away from your tendency. To multitask might help you cultivate that sense that there is plenty of time and you can do one thing at a time and it's gonna be okay, it's all gonna get done. You don't have to rush through all the things and you can give more of your attention to the task or even better, to the person you're spending time with. If you need help slowing down, you can try yin or restorative yoga. In your life off the mat, challenge yourself to move more slowly, to talk more slowly. That's one for me, to breathe. More slowly. Try to teach yourself a new rhythm that is not based in urgency, that is not based in the belief that there's not enough time for everything you truly want to do. Now I hear you. There's plenty of things I have to do that I don't want to do the dishes, the school drop off, and so on. And yes, on the surface, some of these things might seem like we have to do things we don't want. But truth be told, there's a reason why you choose to do the dishes. Maybe a chaotic home makes you feel anxious. Maybe acts of service is a way that you show love to your partner. Maybe you've learned somewhere along the lines that these kind of things inform your value as a human being and you really would want to feel good enough. There's always a reason why we do things. And if you're rolling your eyes at me right now... (laughs) that's fine. But I would also invite you to take a sheet of paper and write down all the things you feel like you don't want to do, but you do in fact do in one day. And look at why you're actually doing these things. And if truly at the end of your reflection, there's no reason why you do these things that really serves you and that you want, I would encourage you to stop doing them. That might mean that you have to set a boundary and then you have to say no to someone or to something that you have to voice a true desire or need of yours or something that you wish to prioritize over that other thing you don't want to do anymore. Maybe it's just that it's time and it has to go. So take a breath. (laughs) Press pause if you want to do this right now. Go do it. Make your list. Start the reflection. And then you can come back in a few minutes. We'll still be here. (laughs) So to survive with chronic stress and living with that sense of urgency, more often than not, we have to disconnect. Disconnection is your sign number three that you are living in survival mode. Not only this is a coping mechanism for dealing with stress, but it's also a symptom of high-level long-term stress. At some point, if everything is overwhelming all the time, we have to pull the plug. It gets easier not to feel than to feel, and it gets more comfortable to avoid than to deal with. In our dorsal vagal response, we play dead, remember? And we wait for the threat to go away. During a traumatic event, our body sensation will lower, our pain level will lower, and numbness is what will keep us alive. Our brain might even use total blockage of memory as a response to the stressor. Okay, you might be thinking, well, if I'm disconnected, I'm not going to feel that I'm disconnected. And you would be right. So then, how would you know? For myself, I realized a few years ago, that I was completely disconnected when I was asked a very simple question, which I was unable to answer. And that question was, how do you feel? And you might be like, well, that's a silly question I hear and I answer every day. But it was asked with presence by someone who truly wanted to know deep inside how I felt. And I realized in that moment, as she was holding space and waiting for like the real answer, I couldn't honestly say whether I was excited, happy, scared, sad, or anything like that. Everything was more or less meh, you know, not terribly bad, but also not terribly great. So a sign that you're disconnected is that you're feeling numb. When we avoid the sadness and the grief of our lives, when we avoid the frustration and the anger we feel, we also become deaf to the joy and the love that we would normally have access to. You can't select pick and choose what you want to feel and what you want to avoid. It's not a a la carte menu. It's all in or all out. And there are many reasons why we disconnect. As I said previously, it might be because we're so overwhelmed that we can't deal. It can also come from a lack of self-worth. A lack of self-worth will lead you to people pleasing, to self-abandonment, and to the tendency to put everybody else and their happiness first. That habit might make you even forget what you want and what you need because you stop asking yourself at some point. When you allow everybody else's wishes and needs and preferences to dictate your way of life, you lose sight of who you are, of what you want, of what you need. And as we talked about before, there's just so many hours in one day and you have just a certain amount of energy to do some things. As other people's opinions start to dictate your choices... We automatically stop setting goals for ourselves. Instead, we try to accomplish the goals that were set for us directly or indirectly to answer our need to be loved, to feel valued, to be celebrated, validated. Over time, we start to live on autopilot. We have to disconnect from our intuition. We have to stop hearing its whispers. Altogether, we disconnect from who we are, from our authenticity. And we show up as we think we are expected to. That will lead us into feeling unseen, misunderstood, call it what you want, an imposter, a chameleon. But we'll sit with the feeling that the people we love don't know us anymore. Or maybe they never had. And when you understand that people-pleasing does not come out of love but out of fear, you'll start to understand that it doesn't bring more love either, but more disconnection. If you feel called out by number three, it's time to create safety for yourself. Create a safe container where you can sit quiet and practice mindfulness. Connect to your body and breathe so you can eventually connect to your emotions and your intuition. Move and get out of your head. As you reconnect with sensations and feelings, you can start to reflect on your values, your desires, your goals. And as you connect to your heart space and your gut feeling instead of your mind, You can let expansion and contraction lead you in the right direction. As you disconnect over time, you lose interest in your life because, well, it's not your life anymore. And that brings us to number four, a decline of mental health or the inefficiency of your coping mechanism. I see those two going hand in hand because they feed each other. When your life is not your life, you lose motivation because those goals are not yours you lose passion because maybe you don't feel much to start with, but also you're not doing the things that you're actually passionate about. You'll start to wake up in the morning feeling more tired, unmotivated. You might find yourself undersleeping or oversleeping. Both are signs that you're off track. Disconnection over time leads to a decline in mental health in general, but With the lack of interest in your life, and the lack of good rest, and the lack of balance, we start to lean into our darker side. And that shows that we're living in survival mode. On top of the lack of interest, motivation, passion, we start to ruminate. Very often, we start to focus on the bad days. And we can't quite let go of them anymore. It's like we get stuck here too. And all of a sudden, we wake up in the morning and realize that there are no really good days anymore. You realize as you don't feel much, you definitely don't feel joy. And your goal is not to have a good day anymore. Your goal is just not to have a terrible one again. Over time, the rumination leads to self-judging, right? As you get stuck into the no good day trend, you'll experience more anxiety, shame, maybe guilt, And if you feel like your situation is your fault in some way, anxiety and shame can make you want to isolate, withdraw, or close down even further. As things become more and more difficult in everyday life, we pick up self-sabotaging patterns to help us cope with the challenging situation we face. I see self-sabotage as an emotional regulation or a dysregulation that eventually causes harm. I would even go as far as saying that for some self-sabotaging behavior can become the norm when we struggle in mental health. You might consciously or unconsciously self-sabotage. Those coping mechanisms might have been helpful for your survival earlier in life as a child in a past relationship, but they're not serving you anymore the same way they used to, and now they're creating harm. They might come from low self-esteem, from a lack of self-worth again, from negative self-image, An example would be like, if you've been told all your life that you're a failure, you're probably going to do things as an adult to prove that truth. Your tendency to self-sabotage can come from cognitive dissonance as well, right? In the same way, as the failure example, human beings like you and me, we prefer a consistency between our beliefs and our actions. We just function that way. So, cognitive dissonance is that mental discomfort you have with holding two opposite ideas at the same time. So, let's say you're coming from a broken family, your dad left, your mom was abusive and alcoholic. You therefore believe that a stable, loving marriage doesn't really exist or is not possible. Yet, you have a long term partner and you've just started to talk about wedding plans. It's very, very possible that you will do something to sabotage that relationship or that wedding because deep down you don't believe it is possible to live happily ever after, right? On a smaller scale, we self-sabotage by ignoring negative emotion, criticizing ourselves, holding grudges, <laughs> directing energy in the wrong thing, overthinking, not setting boundaries, making assumption, being a control freak, being disorganized, and decisive. On a bigger scale, we self-sabotage with procrastination, perfectionism, avoidance, self-medication, and self-harm. It can look like disordered eating, substance abuse, cutting, all sorts of things. Any behavior that is intended to help you feel better, but in the end makes you feel more miserable, can be a self-sabotaging pattern. Giving yourself permission and access to pleasures and self-care might be a way to start to move yourself in the right direction. Making decisions to conserve your time and your energy might be another way. Any strategy to help diminish your self-sabotaging tendency will be to bring back more positive things in your life. As positive pleasures and self-care practices are allowed, we can start to titrate our exposition to what we're afraid of. So we slowly desensitize ourselves to our fear response. Basically learning to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Then, again, there's a piece of the self-worth. You'll have to reinforce the idea that you're worthy of getting what you want and that what you want is worth the effort. It's worth trying for. Self-sabotage lowers our self-worth and lack of self-worth makes us self-sabotage more. So it's a vicious circle. Working to build confidence to connect to the reason of why you are a wonderful, special, and unique being acknowledging your own efforts and celebrating the steps you take forward are all ways that will help you to move away from your self-sabotaging patterns. And of course, those are just a few examples. I could make a whole episode on self-sabotage, but I thought it was an important mention here as it's definitely a sign, in my opinion, that we live in survival mode. Because when we're thriving, we don't put sticks in our own wheels, right? Now, the overarching, all-encompassing sign that you're living in survival mode is that you feel stuck. You know that aching sense that you need something else, something different, something to help you move forward, to propel you onward, but you can't? Instead, you feel frozen in place. Nothing feels available, good enough, or doable Like when solutions are presented to you by your mind or by a friend that's looking out for you, you do everything you can to convince yourself that this quote-unquote solution is not the right choice, not the right option that you need. So you tend to look for the magic pill answer because any effort, any patience required or uncertainty is a no-no. It's just overwhelming. So over time, we start to feel helpless, worthless and lost. And I've been there with my health. There was a time with the endometriosis where it was so bad that there were no viable solution that I could see. It was just despair instead. In my own experience, feeling stuck is really fatiguing. It affected my mental health and it pushed me into self-sabotage. And there are a few things that get us stuck and that keep us there. Denial. Is one of them. Denial of what's going on, how much you struggle, how much stress you're experiencing, of all the things we talked about today. And when it comes to stress itself, understanding what you're looking for in your body is the first step, right? And that will help you not feel as stuck in survival mode because at least you have an idea of where you need to go. Remembering that survival mode is basically a stress response, the solution is awareness and presence. As you notice the signal of your body, for stress, and you are starting to listen more carefully, you can respond with what you need to support yourself in feeling equipped to then find solutions. Remembering that in ventral vagal is where we feel creative enough to come up with a solution. So you have to remember that your ability to choose comes from your nervous system state. So ask yourself, do I want to stay stuck? Or do I want to do something different? If you're like, of course I want to do something different, but I don't know how, the first step is to deal with your stress. The first step is to regulate your nervous system, to create that safety, so then you can do the hard thing. Another way that we get stuck is by losing track of the meaning of the things we do, our purpose in general, if you will. The why really helps us stay motivated even when we don't see the results right away. When we don't get that dopamine hip from the achievement, it's harder to continue. So being clear on what you want, where you want to go and why really helps you stay aligned and able to stay the course. It's like a compass. So you don't get lost literally and figuratively. You get clear on what you want. You get clear on what's not satisfying in your life. And then you take care of your mind. You can take care of your body. You take care of your nervous system. So you have the capacity to move towards that goal to move you back towards what makes you feel fulfilled and like your life is meaning. From there you can start to set goals. And if you don't know where you want to go, it's impossible to stay the course. It's impossible if you don't care about it or if you don't know where you're going. You're gonna feel like you're running in circle, like on the hamster wheel. And that leads us to another reason why we feel stuck. We avoid the discomfort. Most of us do it because our system is so overtaxed that we can deal with more challenges. We don't have the bandwidth to gather the courage. We need to do the hard thing, the different thing, the risky thing. And then we have all the stressful thoughts of the what if. What if I fail? What if no one cares? What if no one shows up? What if, what if, what if? Those fearful thoughts will help you stay cozy in inaction. Because although we feel stuck, at least we're not in danger. When I think of feeling stuck, anything that feels unmoving, unresolved, unlooked at for a long time is also going to help you stay there. On a big scale, just so we're taking the most obvious example, any unresolved trauma will keep you stuck, right? That might be obvious. But what might be less obvious is the grudge you're holding against a friend, the feeling of shame or guilt you've been so skillfully avoiding for years or the I have it all together act that you convince the people around you (laughs) of. Can you see how those things might keep you from moving forward in those aspects of your life? I would even go further and add the secrets you keep. And I'm not saying spill the tea about your best friend's confession. That's not yours to share. But your own secrets the parts of your life, the parts of your story you don't tell, the things you hide, not out of privacy, but out of shame, mm, these need to be shared for you to move forward. This one surprises people. How do you feel about it? If you're still listening, you probably experience some signs of survival mode, or someone you love is living in these patterns. So don't forget about the quiz, do it, or send it to that someone special. Once we have an awareness of our situation, we can move from surviving to healing. As we start to heal, we become more conscious, more aware of our patterns. We get in touch with our feelings. We learn to ask for support, to make time for our needs and self-care. We become able to response. We practice being more present. We learn and we apply nervous system regulation we connect to community, we lean towards collaboration instead of competition, we acknowledge and we work through our trauma, we work to see, to heal, to validate our inner child, and we start to build healthier routines and habits and more. The more we heal, the more we can thrive and the more we'll be able to focus on our growth. We can become the best version of ourselves and we can eventually fall in love with ourselves and our lives again. If you feel ready to take steps towards self-healing, towards moving out of survival mode, I have a secret project coming up. It's not announced yet, but if you'd like to apply to participate, you can reach out and we'll get on a call and we'll talk about it and we'll see if you're the right fit. You'll find a sign-up link in the show notes. If you need any other support, I'm also available taking one-on-one clients for coaching right now. So... Reach out as you need. Know. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave a review for this episode or the podcast in general on iTunes. It truly helps people find the podcast. And if this episode has helped you in any way, by helping people finding the podcast, you're helping other people feel better. Imagine, even if you can change one person's day or one person's life. <laughs> You'll find the show notes for this episode and everything that I mentioned. I will be in there at ericabelanger.com slash 157. Before you go, I want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. See you next Monday.